Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, February 5th, 2018. We have the Aletheia fitted out and we're heading back out to sea after a really terrible bout with the flu. Yeah, I know, I forgot to decree and declare and command and control, you know, the flu virus and stuff. Instead, I just prayed and took care of myself. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put out there by people, is far from what God's Word says. It's like not even close anymore. And uh, so this is a teaching ministry. This is a an education program. We try to have a little bit of fun along the way. And uh, so buckle up. That's the best way I could put it. So uh, I got sidelined, literally sidelined by that uh, terrible flu that has uh, ravaged the United States. I was one of its victims and uh, got taken out for just a wee bit. And uh, that was the longest that I have been sick literally in about 15 years. And um, other people I've been talking to who've been down with this flu, uh, you know, they, they have had it multiple weeks, some people three and four weeks. Uh, yeah, I've had it now for two, and I'm about 85, 90% of the way there. Uh, still have to kind of manage uh, my energy levels, if you would, and, and, uh, and make sure that I don't overdo it so that uh, I don't regress. But uh, I think we're, we're in the clear, at least to the point where I can begin to uh, record episodes of Fighting for the Faith. Part of it is, is I lost my voice uh, with uh, this round of the flu. And, uh, oh, man, <laughs> you can't do radio without a voice. I just, just some, something I've noticed. So uh, I'm happy to be back and uh, appreciate all of the, uh, the prayers that uh, y'all offered up on my behalf. And uh, those of you sending notes and funny little <coughs> ribbings, 
uh, on my uh, social media. That was actually <laughs> quite fun to to read and uh, and to be able to note that uh, y'all have a good sense of humor. And no, the sneaky squid did not get me. So you know, just saying. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do you know, on this episode of Fighting for the Faith. First one back after the flu. We're going to begin with a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And uh, multiple, multiple people we're going to be checking in with. First off, we're going to be checking in with Katie Sousa. And Katie Sousa has a recent episode of her Healing Your Soul television program and this is a woman who should not be teaching anybody anything regarding christianity she is clearly a con artist and her theology is just completely wackerdoodle and, uh, and the name of the episode is titled clever and sneaky snakes yeah that's right so now we don't we not only have to worry about sneaky squids we need to worry about sneaky snakes and apparently she's going to be explaining to us how we're supposed to be taking control of and and you know handling snakes and stuff and it's fascinating what she does with the long ending of mark then we're going to head down to glory city church we're going to uh listen to a woman by the name of sarah Ch- uh, cheeseman uh who recently appeared at glory city church out there in brisbane australia and uh, we're going to start just a wee bit before she takes the stage and uh, listen as one of the uh, the workers there at uh, Glory City Church uh, prepares to take the offering. Yeah, it, it just <clears throat> I, I thought that was a good setup for where we're going. Uh, then we're going to check in with um, Sid Roth's It's Supernatural as Perry Stone uh, appears on the program. And he's talking about his father, uh, Perry Stone Sr., and in the process, we're going to note uh, a false teaching regarding tongues uh, and a false understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit worth taking a look at. If we have time, we're going to be hearing from Hank Kuhneman. Uh, this is a segment I really wanted to get to, uh, and his appearance on Sid Roth's program for their uh, 2018 Prophetic Outlook. And need to note this: uh, you know, this is I think this is the week that the uh, Winter Olympics begin. And um, you know, it's, it's, I think that's the case. I need to check. I, it's a while since I've watched television, and uh, but uh, I think the Olympics are happening very shortly, if not this week, then the following week. And uh, if you paid attention, uh, Jim Baker, Jim Baker literally made the claim, you know, that created the expectation that the Lord had warned him that something sinister and ginormous was going to go down at uh, this year's. Uh, Winter Olympics. So <clears throat> we'll uh, just just note that pr- uh, particular fact that uh, Jim Baker had said that. And uh, to round out our number one, I, uh, you'll note I think I have more uh, more segments than I have time for. To round out our number one, I wanted to spend a little bit more time listening to Kenneth Copeland. Uh, so this will be part two of Speak the Desired End Result, this uh Catechism into the Word of Faith heresy. Hour number two, we're heading down to Church by the Glades as we listen to uh, David Hughes and his sermon titled From Whiner to Warrior. From Whiner to Warrior. It just is going to be a... (laughs) 
<laughs> a normal episode of Fighting for the Faith. Best thing I could recommend is you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground we need to cover. Since we're going to start with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update with multiple people, let's do this. Oh. Hallelujah. Get up right now. Tilton and Hubabaconda. All right, let's head over to Katie Sousa's television program, Healing Your Soul, as she explains to us the danger that we as Christians face and the authority that we apparently have over clever and sneaky snakes. Yeah, I'm not making that up. That's the name of this particular episode of her television program. Here we go. Real keys to the miraculous. Are you looking for a fast and easy way to be healed in your body and in every other area of your life? Today I'm going to share with you one of the most bizarre yet completely biblical revelations I've ever received. Bizarre but completely biblical revelations that she's received. You, you know, see, here we are, we are literally 19 seconds into this episode of Katie Seuss's Healing Your Soul. And already, anybody who has just even a modest amount of biblical discernment should recognize, well, what's coming next isn't going to be biblical. Also happens to be the fastest and easiest healing and deliverance tools I've ever encountered. No way. Fastest and easiest. Whoa. (laughs) You know, because I don't know what she's talking about. I've seen people instantly healed of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, gout, arthritis. And yeah, I, I don't think you have. Yeah, I, she she's one for telling tall tales. On bone conditions, restless leg syndrome, chronic insomnia, migraines, and all kinds of body pains, and even blindness and deafness through this revelation. No way. I mean, just, this is going to revolutionize your life there, you know. Uh, yeah. So... No, one of the things that never occurs uh, with uh, Katie Sousa is her providing actual, physical, tangible medical records that will validate and verify the claims that she's making. So she claims she's received some special revelation. Oh, it's going to revolutionize healing and uh, deliverance stuff. And oh, man, it's... Once she put it into practice, I mean, there the people with gout. I mean, just you know, it just cleared right up. And ovarian cancer, you know, because apparently she has X-ray vision and she can see right into people's bodies and see up oh, there. Yep, that ovarian cancer—it's not there anymore. Mm-hmm, yeah. 
Today, I'm going to walk you through scripture after scripture to lay a solid biblical foundation for this teaching. Ah. Because when I shared it in live conferences, many people started off by staring and shaking their heads at me in disbelief. Yeah, probably because what you were saying was outrageous and like patently false on its face. Tell you what, after they hung in there and listened to the scriptural proof I put in this message, by the end they were standing up, shouting and praising the Lord because they got a miracle. Let's go right to that. Right. I mean, yeah. So she I mean, she bravely revealed this special revelation that is totally biblical and stuff that God gave her. And and there were skeptics and haters right at the beginning. But she turned them right around. And after they were healed from gout and ovarian cancer, they were shouting right then and there. Yeah. So you can hear what they heard. And I encourage you to hang in there through this program. I'm hanging. your life will never be the same again. I'm sure it won't be, yeah. We're dealing with demonic serpents right now. We are? (laughs) All right, so there are sneaky squid spirits and there are demonic serpent spirits. Now, this sounds a little more biblical. I mean, mean, after all, in Genesis chapter 3, when the devil appeared to tempt our first parents, Adam and Eve... Uh, He showed up as a talking snake. So, I mean, this sounds a little more biblical. Okay. We know Jesus talked about them. Yeah. In Luke 10, when he said, I have given you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and nothing shall in any wise harm you. Okay. We know he was talking about demonic manifestations of serpents. Okay. Because right before that, the disciples came and said, wow, even the demons submitted to us in your name. All right. So I'm with you so far. Right on. That's when he said, I have given you power to trample on serpents and scorpions. We've been called to trample on these demonic manifestations that come in the form of snakes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, she, she started off sort of okay and, um, and then quickly steered right into a ditch here. We don't really see a lot of people, though, walking around. Pulling snakes off of peeps. No. Yeah. I mean, up here in North Dakota, you know, during the wintertime especially, uh, we we don't see that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Seems kind of weird. Seems kind of crazy. Seems kind of charismatic. Kookiness. Charismatic kookiness. Yeah. We, we need to be seeing more people pulling snakes off of peeps and stuff. Right. Yet... In Mark 16, what was one of the parts of the Great Commission? God said, go out, preach the gospel to every living creature, heal the sick, drive out demons, and you shall take up serpents. That's part of the Great Commission. Yeah, no, actually, that's part of the long ending of Mark and the earliest manuscripts we have in the New Testament. Uh, They don't actually contain the long ending of Mark. So, uh, yeah, we got a problem here. To take up is the Greek word iro. It means to take off something th- that's attached to anything. <laughs> do, do you think for a second that Katie Sousa has actually passed a, a seminary-level Greek um, grammar course? No, this is a woman who uh, has learned how to use Strong's Concordance. And I've noticed that she has this weird tendency to... Uh, let's just say stretch, really, really stretch the uh, definitions of uh, Greek words. Meaning these serpents are attached to anything. They're attached to your money. They're attached to your mind. They're. T- uh, 
see, yeah, that see, she just abused the Greek word, and uh, and now she's saying that really what that Greek word is saying that these snakes can be attached to your money. Oh no, oh no, I. I I need to give you know I probably need to do this you know I I'm I'm thinking to help pay the bills here at uh, Pirate Christian Media maybe what I need to do is have a a, a sneaky uh, money snake removal extermination uh, service that that we offer here um, yeah I, I I'm thinking I could do this you know that uh, so are you suffering spiritually from sneaky snakes that have attached themselves to your money or your mind. Well, uh, never fear here. Uh, here at Pirate Christian Media, we we have uh, d- determined that uh, we are going to um, be offering sneaky snake, spiritual sneaky snake removal and extermination services. Um, you know, now, because this is all spiritual and these are spiritual sneaky snakes that are attaching themselves to your money and your mind and stuff like that, we will not be able to provide any actual validation or documentation that the sneaky snakes have been removed but um we we assure you that our our services they are t- just absolutely you know top of the line and r- above board so you you just got to trust us uh-huh your, to your finances they're attached to your business they're attached to your ministry they're attached to your body they're causing you sicknesses and diseases no way oh man you see, you know, I, I see the the Pentecostals up in the Appalachians. They were thinking that this actually meant physical, you know, serpents and stuff like that. And many of them have died over, you know, <laughs> over the course of the Pentecostal movement hitting the Appalachians. And uh, and all along, really, what this was referring to was not actual real serpents and rattlesnakes and vipers and things like that uh you know and and maybe even the black mamba you know which i think is in africa but no it was all along these were sneaky spiritual serpent snake thingies that you know that you're supposed to be trampling on i oh man i feel so bad for all of those pentecostals in the appalachians who died from snake bites of all kinds and all sorts and we are supposed to take them off right yeah take them off of ourselves Amen. Yeah, so you got to get those serpents, those snake thingies off of you. <sighs> I see. Okay, so um my fear is that uh, Katie Sousa may have actually been attacked by a sneaky snake. So, um, you know, we we should pray for her. All right, heading down to Glory City Church, Brisbane, Australia. We're going to check in with Sarah Cheeseman, who recently delivered the message there at Glory City Church. And we're going to, like I said at the beginning of the program, we're going to start off by listening to them taking the offering and then introducing Sarah Cheeseman because it's just, oh, so interesting. Yeah, here we go. Thank you, church. It's good to be family, hey? It's good to do it together. Yeah. So we're going to get ready to take up our tithes and offerings now. Yeah. And I just think it's a joy to be able to give into the house. You know, the Bible talks about bringing our, our tithes and our offering into the house. And I think it's no, a- actually, uh, it, that's a, an old covenant thing. Uh, Christians are not actually under the Mosaic covenant command to tithe. And to, and to, and by the way, when it talks about in the Old Testament bringing your ties into the storehouses, that, yeah, that's not the local church. Nope, not at all. Right, because when we get to join together with other people, we get to do more. You know, one puts a thousand to fight. 
two plus 10,000, the Bible says. And we get to do that with the finances as well. We get to do- Right. Are your finances putting thousands to flight? <laughs> or have sneaky snakes invaded your finances? Yeah, don't worry. Katie Sousa will get that right off, you know together and put in and sow into what God's doing and join in with so many things that are touching the world through Glory City Church. So why don't you get your tithes and offerings ready if you have them. We're going to, we're going to do our um, declarations, if that's all right, guys, at the back. I love these. Oh, yeah. They're going to be doing some declarations down there in Brisbane. Setting us up for the new year. So um, I won't make you stand again, but can you say it with me? Let, we're going to do our declarations over our offering and then we're going to pray. All right. As we receive today's offering, we are believing the Lord for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses. Wow. So so notice the quid pro quo there, uh, the uh, folks who attend Glory City Church in Brisbane, Australia, that uh, they are giving in order to get from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... So if you make sure that if you send your money into a Glory City Church that you expect, you know, hey, God, I'm giving you some money, so I expect a raise, a better job, you know, business opportunities. Sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritance, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decreased, blessing and increase. Thank you for meeting all my financial needs so that I have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, that's kind of weird because uh, Glory City Church isn't exactly known for its bold proclamation of Jesus Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and calling the sinners there in Brisbane to repent and to trust Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They're more known for uh, the pursuit of signs and wonders and uh, and having weird, strange people do wackerdoodle things on their stage. And, and just saying, you know. We're blessed to be a blessing. That's what it's all about. Right, so you give to get. Yeah, that's what you do there at Glory City. Me as these guys take up the offering. Lord, we just give you our lives afresh again this afternoon. We just pray a blessing over these tithes and offering. Lord, we just say multiply, God. Blessing, blessing, blessing. You say multiply, blessing, blessing, blessing. This isn't really a prayer, you'll note. These precious ones over every finance represented here, God. We just speak your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's take up the offering. Thank you, guys. Oh, I'm excited about this new year. You know, so many wonderful things God's doing. And um, as we all go back into our jobs and get going for the for the year, I started to look at all the things that were coming up and going, okay, okay, I'm getting organized. And, you know, there's different seasons. There's seasons to have holidays and there's seasons to get into things. But I was kind of looking at it all going, oh, God, okay, okay. And I felt like the Holy Spirit say to me, Life with me is an endless summer holiday. And I thought... I- R- really? The, the, the Holy Spirit said that to you? <laughs> so life, according to the Holy Spirit, who was talking to this gal who's on the leadership team there at Glory City Church, uh, it's like an endless summer holiday. And, of course, everybody knows that the Southern Hemisphere, they are currently experiencing summer here up in uh, North Dakota. In the Northern Hemisphere, uh, we're in the grips of winter. And I think that uh, that, that rodent thingy, uh, the groundhog, saw his shadow, I th- which means we're going to have a lot more winter here. 
So, uh, yeah, but what's really weird is that I would kind of think that the Apostle Paul would argue that life with the Holy Spirit, and no one is going to say that Paul did not have the Holy Spirit, uh, didn't seem like an endless holiday. You know, in fact, if we take a look at like, you know, Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul in Second uh, Corinthians explains what his life was like, you know, uh, he and the Holy Spirit, if you would. And it, it, again, it just doesn't sound like a, a, an endless summer holiday. Um, l- let me read out from Second uh, Corinthians 11. Chapter six, uh, verse sixteen. Uh, chapter eleven, verse sixteen. Paul writing, he says, uh, "Let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I may boast a little, what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but I'm saying this as a fool, since many, according to the flesh, I too will boast." Uh, for you gladly bear with fools. These are he's talking about the false super apostles uh, being wise yourselves. So do bear with me if I boast. And so he starts off in verse twenty-two, saying, are, regarding the super apostles, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? He says, well, I'm a better one. And he says, now listen, I'm talking like a madman. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hard through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches who is not weak and I am not weak, who's made to fall and I am not indignant. Yeah, it's weird. Second Corinthians 11, and no one can argue in the charismatic movement that the Apostle Paul didn't have the Holy Spirit. And his experience in life with the Holy Spirit was Far from just one continual summer holiday. No, it it sounded like the exact opposite of that. Unless, of course, your summer holidays are filled with floggings, beatings, imprisonments, and being shipwrecked and stuff like that. Yes, Jesus, that's how I'm going to do it. That it's not that we have to live in a practical summer holiday, but we get to live with a heart posture that's with Jesus that goes, God, I'm going to start and step out the door every day with my eyes fixed on you, knowing that you're the author and the finisher of my faith, and with you, everything is possible. Amen? That's how we're going to go after this year. That's how we're yeah, going to Yeah, yeah, we're going to go after it that way. Yeah, After yeah. these mountains, you're born to... Born- yeah, they're going after mountains there, the seven mountain mandates. They're an NAR church, by the way. A victory. Amen? Well, make sure that I've said everything, and I'm very excited. This is so fun to be able to just pass it to my sister. Isn't that so cool? Uh, yeah, this is so cool. Yeah, but uh, I'm going to have to take a break. <laughs> All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we're going to be listening to a little bit more from uh, Glory City Church. We'll also be hearing from Ken Copeland, probably Perry Stone. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. 
Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> I don't know why we have to come to these small group sessions. They're just so boring. Hey, do you find that small groups just aren't that interesting or fun anymore? That's quite literally what I just said. Then we have the product just for you. New from Los Lobos Ministries is Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs. Well, what is it? Simple. Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs are an entire booklet loaded with fill-in-the-blank Bible passages. Aren't we supposed to read the scriptures the way they were originally written? Not if you want to spice up your small group Bible studies. With Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs, you can make every passage be about you. Isn't scripture about Jesus? Only if you want it to be. In our postmodern age, it's stupid to think that such a thing as absolute truth actually exists. Every passage is open to interpretation. Read the example. But now that you have been set free from financial debt and have become warriors of God, the fruit you get leads to better sex and eternal life. For the wages of sin are smelly diapers, but the free gift of God is a really good tax return in Jesus Christ our Lord. That was absolutely heretical. Why would anyone butcher scripture like this? Because modern-day Christians like you don't endure sound doctrine. By popular demand, you've appointed leaders in the church who've given your itching ears what they want to hear and haven't looked back since. Ha! Suckers! This is just horrible. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, then you're just as foolish as Naval. We've already expanded the biblical Mad Lib franchise to include alternate Bible translations. That can't be good. You're right! It isn't! We now have Biblical Mad Libs in The Voice, the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, and, for a limited time only, we have the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation. Wait, doesn't that last one spell? Yes, it does spell fun. Not just fun for you, but for the entire small group. We've even created a Biblical Mad Libs Junior Edition to get the kids twisting scripture from a young age. I would never buy this for my children. Lucky for you, you don't have to. We're handing out free copies to every youth group in the nation. Plus, we're also including a special copy of Elevation Church's The Code Coloring Book for a little extra heretical flavor. You're not going to get away with this. You can't stop us. We're already in control. Resistance is futile. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. 
Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to believe that you are not in danger of sneaky squids or sneaky snakes. Yeah, nope, not at all. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. That's right. There are three of them. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, which is a great way to support us, by the way, you get to choose the monthly amount that you support us with. Uh, lowest rank in our crew is Powder Monkey, and that is a commitment of $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, that is another option that you have available. Click on the Become a Patron button or of course if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to give or make a one-time contribution you do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box 13344 grand forks north dakota zip code 58208 and let me thank you for your support we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it all right heading back to glory city church uh, uh sarah cheeseman is getting ready to take the stage uh let's listen in as they finish introducing her and, um, i am so excited to introduce my beautiful sister who i believe has a wonderful word from the lord so why don't you just honor her with me would you stand would you stand and we're just going to welcome the beautiful sarah cheeseman All right, so apparently she likes to move it, move it. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen as far as like what somebody does as soon as they take the stage to give a sermon. Isn't that a pagan song? She's moving it, though, you know. I heard the Holy Spirit say, 2018, he is moving mountains for you. Uh, you. You heard the Holy Spirit say that. That's why you played the song, You Like to Move It, Move It. Mm-hmm. Moving mountains on your behalf. And in fact, I heard him singing that. I like- The Holy Spirit was singing, I like to move it, move it. <laughs> there you go, folks. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Holy Spirit likes songs like that, apparently. Those of you who've spent time in paganism will sit there and go, Are you sure that's the Holy Spirit? Move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. He likes to move and win victories for you. There's not a mountain he wouldn't move for you. There's not a victory that he hasn't given his life for. And there's not a prize. Uh, The Holy Spirit did not die for our sins. That would be God the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity, are they modalists out there in Brisbane? Too high that he wouldn't pay for you to step into your destiny and the dream of God that he wrote for you before the foundation. Of yeah, God apparently wrote a dream for you long before the foundations of the earth. No, that's not what scripture says either. Come on. He likes to move it. And I sense tonight that the atmosphere is actually pregnant with destiny, like the seeds of... The atmosphere is pregnant with destiny down there in Brisbane, folks. Yeah. It's kind of sad, you know, because, you know, yesterday at church, you know, I, I'm a pastor there at Kongsvinger. Our atmosphere wasn't pregnant with anything. So. <laughs> in fact, I can honestly say that the entire time I've been pastor of Kongsvinger in uh, Oslo, Minnesota, that uh, we, we've never had a pregnant atmosphere. No, no, it just, it never has arrived there. And I felt like God and dreams, and I felt like God was saying that there are people here tonight, and God has actually put on your heart um, a dream for 2018. like fresh. God has put a fresh dream on your heart for 2018. No, he hasn't done that either. I'm just kind of glad I'm not sick anymore, you know? And if that's you, could you please stand really quickly where you are? Quick, quick, quick. There's going to be a bunch of you. I hope it's almost all, I hope it's all of you. If there's something that is placed on your heart for this year, for this year. Wow. Thank you, Father. A lot of people are standing up there. Thank you, God, Lord, that you're just releasing the dreams of God in this house tonight. God's releasing the dreams of God stuff thingy. In Jesus' yeah. name, Lord, I thank you, God, Lord, for destiny moments this year. In Jesus' There's going to be destiny moments down there in Brisbane, folks. Yeah. Yeah, don't you feel like you've somehow been ripped off by God because they're having destiny moments in Brisbane? But, you know, if you go to a church where the pastor, you know, like preaches the word and to sound biblical exegesis and stuff, the, the atmosphere isn't pregnant at all. And they're not there's no destiny moments happening in 2018. How sad, you know. Lord, and we speak to the mountains, and we say, move. Mountains, move, in Jesus' name. I- what if there's snakes on that mountain, you know? And they, if you move the mountain, the snakes might get released and stuff. I have a feeling that the thing that he's put inside of you is impossible without him. Right, yeah, yeah, okay, so. So with that in mind, here's an invitation for you to partner with him and say, mountain, be moved. Ma- so you, this is an invitation to part- partner and. The way you partner with the Holy Spirit who likes to move it, move it, is to say, mountain, 
be moved. Now, see, again, this is kind of weird because here in uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota, and uh, in uh, adjacent Minnesota out there, um, no, it's it's flat. We got no mountains. Literally, you cannot see any mountains from where we are. None. So we got no mountains to move out here. It's kind of sad. Be moved, and not just for your own life, but for this city and for this nation. And I felt to declare of you tonight, wakey, wakey. Wake- You're declaring wakey, wakey. <laughs> just, mm, okay. Wakey, 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 because dreamers of the day are dangerous men. Dreamers of the day are dangerous men. People that are awakened, whoa, to righteousness, to who they are, that see the call of God and say, this is, just isn't in my sleepy zone and, in, in, you know, something airy-fairy that might happen one day. But no, I'm taking a hold of this with my whole heart. Bring me the horizon. Bring me the new day. And so I declare over you, wakey, wakey. Wake- wakey, wakey. I mean, wow. I mean, I'm telling you, I, 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 I don't know how I've been able to survive this long as a Christian without the wakey wakey from the, the Holy Spirit who likes to sing, move it, move it, you know? Wakey, wakey, wakey. I thank you for the dream of God exploding in hearts today. And we speak to the seed and we say, grow in Jesus' name. Grow in Jesus' name. Full term in Jesus' name. Full term and healthy births of the dream of God. Over- healthy births of the, of the dream of God. Yeah, there, there will be no preemies when it comes to birthing the dreams of God. No, 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 no. Full term. And healthy, you know, nine pound, seven ounce, um, wakey, wakey dream destiny birthing thingies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't weird at all. Life this year, over 2018, because he likes to move it, move it. Amen. Right. Yeah. He likes to move it, move and- it. Awesome. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Yeah. There were people clapping for that. I have no idea what any of it meant. Wow. I'm so excited. My, my standard response. I, I love that the Holy Spirit is just so intentional, thank you, with our lives and with what he's doing this year. And all it takes for us is to become like little children. See, all you got to do is become childlike. Yeah. I would argue that this is not childlike. This is childish. And as Pastor Catherine would say so beautifully. And hum- see, the, did you notice the sentence there? Ca- pastor Catherine. Yeah, see, there's no such thing as a female pastor. God's word forbids that. Yeah, so that's it's weird. Childish, for sure. See, something you could never earn for yourself. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, there you have it. Uh, that's kind of a weird opening there for uh, Sarah Cheeseman's sermon. And uh, you can almost see ex- the exact direction she's going to be in it, heading into. A twisting and a misreading of Mark 11, I'm sure, is on deck. But we'll have to save that for another time. Uh, we're going to check in with, with the Sid Roth It's Supernatural program and his guest, Perry Stone, as they are going to be discussing Perry Stone's father, Perry Stone Sr. But in the process, we're going to learn a wee bit about uh, false understanding about tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, since we're going to be doing that, let's do this. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head on my shoulders is sorry loose. But I ain't got since God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but 
I'm in it. Is it wetter underwater if you're there when it rains? Is it shorter to New York than it is by plane? Between myself and I, I wonder who's the dumber. Is it hotter down south? Than it is in summer. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head of my shoulders is sour loose. And I ain't got sense. God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. All right, so we're heading over to Sid Roth's It's Supernatural conversation in progress with Perry Stone as they are discussing Perry Stone Sr. This was the father of Perry Stone. Listen in. And his father operated in all nine gifts of the Spirit. And mm, Perry Stone's father operated all nine gifts of the Spirit. Okay. I asked Perry the last time I spoke with him, did your father have a prophetic word just before he died and you answered he said the lord spoke to him and this is about uh, a month before he passed that in the last days as we come closer to the time of the end believers were going to come under a lot of stress a lot of satanic temptation and he said haven't christians been stressed and under satanic temptation like the whole time that christianity's been around i mean jesus taught us to pray <clears throat> Deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. Are you familiar with these petitions from the Lord's Prayer? Some of this will be temptations that people have never dealt with. He said godly people. He said some of it will be sexual temptations. With Godly people have never suffered sexual temptations before. <laughs> really? Why then does Scripture warn Christians about sexual immorality? Thoughts in their mind to do things they've never thought of doing. He said the only way, and he was crying when he told me this. Hmm. And he said, please tell them that the Lord said they have to pray excessively in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So in order to avoid sexual temptation, something that Christians have never experienced until these end times that we find ourselves in currently right now, uh, the solution is you must pray in the Holy Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? Listen to what he says. To use the prayer language of the Spirit, and when they're under temptation, don't try to fight it just by, by rebuking it in your nat natural tongue. Fight it by praying heavy in the Spirit of God to get your mind renewed. Uh okay, so did you catch that? So according to the late prophet uh, Perry Stone Sr., uh, in the last days, uh, something unthinkable will happen. Christians are going to be under temptations that they've never faced before. Uh, you know, sexual temptations, because that's never happened. And the only way that you can avoid falling into these types of temptations is you must speak in tongues. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I just say that's really weird. And the reason why that's really weird is because 1 Corinthians chapter 12 explicitly teaches that not everybody has the gift of tongues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you read uh, out, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 in context, the Apostle Paul is making an argument, and that is that the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he chooses, and that we're all a body, and that not everybody has the same gift. You know, some have one gift, another have another, and he goes on to explain that, you know, 
that the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And so he's literally arguing that the Holy Spirit's going to give a variety of gifts because we are a body and the body needs different body parts. And then he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ, individually you're members of it. And as God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. And they ask the question, are all apostles? The answer is no. And we know this, if you have any doubt about it, in the Greek, there's an untranslated particle, may, and that untranslated particle means that every one of these questions must be answered in the negative. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. No, not all speak with tongues. The Greek is emphatically clear. So here on the Sid Roth It's Supernatural television program, Perry Stone claims that his father, right before he died, said that, oh my goodness, in the just before Jesus returns, the unthinkable is going to happen. Christians are going to be tempted in a way that they've never been tempted before, and it's going to be sexual. Mm-hmm. Because Christians have never, until just now, started being tempted sexually. And that <laughs> and that the only way to overcome these satanic temptations is if you speak in tongues. But not all have tongues. That's, shall we say, a false doctrine on its face. So that was one of the last things. I, I have to tell you, Perry, I feel like... I don't want to go out in the world unless I've prayed for about an hour in tongues. And I- yeah, that's not praying. That's gibberish. That's not an actual, that's not the gift of tongues, by the way. And so you're going to note here, since they're literally teaching there that this is for everybody, and the only way you have a chance of overcoming sexual temptations is if you pray in tongues, but not all people have tongues been doing this now for the last few years and i've been urging everyone else but yes i didn't know that prophetic yeah. word okay perry mm-hmm. yeah so there it is folks yeah here we are in the last days and wouldn't you know it i mean christians now are facing temptations they've never faced before sexual temptations and uh the only way that you cannot fall into this temptation is if you uh, speak in tongues and sad, sad if you don't have this gift because scripture says not all have it. So the only people who will not fall into sexual temptation who are Christians in the last days apparently are those who speak in tongues. Mm-hmm. Says no biblical text anywhere. Moving along, time for uh, money grubbing televangelist update. Let's do this. Don't want no love. Don't want no kissing, don't want no gal to call me honey, don't want my name in the hall of fame, just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler, give me buckets full of ducats, let me walk around and waller in Mazuma, El Dinero, wanna be a millionaire, give, give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. I wanna get me a suit that's made out of oot and whistle. 
the word and green. I got that monetary itis like me, just like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. And there's some I can inveigle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. All right. So we're heading over to the Believer's Voice of Victory, and we're going to pick up where we left off before I got the flu uh, with uh, Kenneth Copeland uh, teaching us a primer, if you would, a grade school catechesis primer on the word of faith heresy itself and how the, apparently the doctrine works, about how you speak words and then God, no, it's actually you're a little God. You kind of speak them into, you speak things into existence and exercise your faith and stuff. Now, I've backed it up just a little bit so that we can keep the context from the last place we left off, but here again is Kenneth Copeland. Chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. In fact, <laughs> I've, had, I've had this question. Why do you teach on it so much? Talking about faith. Well, in the first place, you can't get saved without it. You can't live the faith life without it for the just live by faith. You can't walk the Christian walk without it because we walk by faith and not by sight. You can't fight the Christian fight without it because we fight the good fight of faith. And you can't overcome the world without it because this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And if that wasn't enough, it's impossible to please him without it. Amen. Now stop and think about it a moment though. It's impossible to please anybody without faith. Um, you know, I sure do love you, brother, but I don't believe nothing you say. <laughs> no, no, that just go. Try that with your wife sometime. I love you, darling. I just don't believe nothing. You. <laughs> no, no, no. See, that's I love you is very pleasing, but I won't do what you say is not. So it's impossible. All things are possible with God. Not that. It's impossible for God to lie. And it's just as impossible to please him without faith as it is for him to lie. Yeah. Hebrews 11 is talking about saving faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right. We are trusting in his promises for the forgiveness of our sins and the imputation of a righteousness that is not our own. Ever wonder why it's impossible to please him without it? Without it, he can't do anything for you. Uh, no, that's, that's a stretch there. God did all kinds of stuff for us. For instance, in the book of Romans, it says that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Yeah, Jesus died for our sins long before we ever had faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins. What Ken Copeland just said there is patently false, that God can't do anything for you without faith. Well, he bled and died for me before I was even born, yet alone had faith. He's not trying to get anything from you. He's trying to get things to you. Amen. 
Amen. What does he do with your time? He spends it on your spiritual development. Uh, New Testament Christians are not required to tithe. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need the money. He needs you. <laughs> yeah, but Ken Copeland needs the money. Yeah. You see, isn't that interesting? Amen. Yeah. Well, it's impossible to please him without. Well, well, listen to this. Romans 4.16. Therefore, it is by faith so that it might be by grace. Talking about our salvation apart from works. And grace is the big thing. Grace, unmerited favors and so forth. Grace is God's overwhelming desire to treat you and me like sin never happened. Well, in order for that to happen, he had, Jesus Christ had to take our sins upon himself. Mm Mm-hmm and then be punished in our place. Because as far as God is concerned, the sin problem is finished. Jesus bore it, defeated it. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So without faith, there's no connection to the grace. And without the grace... Everything Jesus did is for nothing. Faith is huge. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is always now. Faith is always present tense. The past is the past and hope is the future. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things, natural material things, which are seen were not made of things which do appear. They weren't, they didn't didn't say they were made of nothing. It said they were made out of something you can't see. So faith is the creative force. No, that is not what Hebrews 11 says. And that was a sneaky, sneaky, oily, terribly twisted move on the part of Kenneth Copeland. Take a look in your Bible, Hebrews 11. We're going to take a look at it in context and note what it is talking about. It is not saying that faith is the creative force that created the universe. That's what is at the heart of Ken Copeland's heresy. Hebrews 11.1, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction or the certainty of things that are not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Or you could say through the word of God. Mm -hmm. It says, by faith we understand this. It does not say faith was the creative force that made it. No, 
You see, Scripture reveals that we, we who weren't there when the universe was created, when the world was formed, we learn in Genesis 1 that God created the heavens and the earth, and that when God did so, he did it through his word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be plants and trees and monkeys and beasts and creepy crawly things, and there were. God spoke, and they came into existence. We know this, and we understand this by faith, by trusting the Genesis account, and by trusting Jesus, who also taught that this is how the universe came into existence. So by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What Ken Copeland did was he took the faith that's in the beginning of verse 3 and smuggled into the tail end of verse 3 to try to make it look like faith is the creative force that created the universe. That is straight up false. God is the one who created the universe. He did so through his word. God did not create the universe by faith. Now, I want you to hear again what he does with Hebrews 11, because you can see now where the beating heart of the word of faith heresy is, and it's this belief that faith is the creative force. Faith is the thing that makes things happen, and that faith is the thing that created the universe. Listen again to Kenneth Copeland. By it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the world's were framed by the word of God so that things, natural material things, which are seen were not made of things which do appear. They weren't, they didn't, it didn't say they were made of nothing. It said they were made out of something you can't see. So faith is the creative force that brought all of this into existence. Now- wow. No. The thing that brought all of the... The person. It's not... A, he's God's not a thing. The person who brought all of this into existence is God, not faith. Wow. I mean, just absolutely deplorable what he did there. I think you get the idea. All right. We are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith... You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back, heading down to church by the glades, and we're going to go from whiners to warriors. And wow, who knew? Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? 
she be endorsing the health and wealth heresy? Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Sermon review time. Oh man, it's good to be back in the saddle. I'd rather be hunting heretics than down with the flu. But let's do this right. We got the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Church by the Glade. David Hughes presiding. They've got their entire stage decked out like American Ninja Warrior, the television show. Yeah, you know, the, the one with the athletic people jumping from this thing and that thing and overcoming obstacles and stuff. Yeah, so I think they're going to start the year off really strong there at Church by the Glades. The name of the sermon is titled, From Whiner to Winner. (laughs) I, off the top of my head, cannot think of which passage instructs us to go from being whiners to winners. Unless, of course, you're going to, like, talk about the children of Israel and how they grumbled against God or something like that. But I don't know. Let's... Go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is David Hughes. He's going to get right to the text from winner to winner. Here we go. The text, go to Joshua chapter 3. We're in the book of Joshua to start the new year. If you're watching online or at home at one of our campuses, Joshua chapter 3. Let's say that together loudly. Ready? Joshua chapter I'll give you a moment to find that. And I want to go back and pick up on one verse from last week. Joshua is a study of God's people in a season of turf taking and transition. Uh, a season of turf taking and transition. Yeah, it's kind of a weird setup here. Uh, this is the uh, the story that recounts God fulfilling his promise to give the children of Israel the promised land. And when you read Hebrews 11, which interprets the promised land for us properly, we learn that the promised land that they were taking is a type and shadow of the real promised land that we are all promised in Christ. 
and that is the new earth, mm-hmm. eternal life in a world without end, a land flowing with milk and honey indeed. So uh, we got a problem here, um, and that is uh, that uh, what David Hughes is talking about is not what, well, the text is actually about. Generation, the Joshua generation is going to step in to the promised land. For over 400 years, the people of God, a marginalized people, slaves, and then wilderness wanderers have dreamt about this fabled place called the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a place of God's blessing and God's best. And they're going to put their Nikes in the promised land. This Joshua generation transitions. So new place, new season, new leader. They transition from Moses to the young guy, Joshua. And so in chapter one, you stay in chapter three, Joshua is called and commissioned by the living God. And it's so powerful what God says to Joshua. I want to kind of borrow this promise that God made to Joshua and appropriate it for ourselves. It says in verse eight, this book of the law, this Torah, this Bible shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Get ready. For then you will make your way. Yeah, notice uh, this is Mosaic Covenant, and that's a conditional promise. And uh, based upon and predicated on their keeping the law and everything written down in the Old Testament. Yeah, How many different commandments is that exactly? So he's going to focus in on the prosperous and successful part of uh, this verse in Joshua chapter 1 and ignore the condition for that prosperity, which is obedience to what God commands them in that book. Okay. Way prosperous and loudly, and then you will have. Anybody up for a little more prosperity and success in the year to come? Anybody like to say, yeah, if God has more pro- Come on, put your hands together. Make some- yeah, that's right. Uh, that's going to require a heck of a lot more imbe- obedience than you're going to be preaching on in this sermon. Boys, yeah, I want every blessing heaven has. And I believe we can appropriately borrow this promise. It's a conditional promise based upon your obedience. Wants us to prosper and know a degree of spiritual success. Now, again, I don't mean it's going to make you wealthy or the CEO of your corporation, uh, but it means this prosperous. We broke it down last week, and the Hebrew means to break out. To break out. Now, are you stuck somewhere in life? Limited? Are, uh, yeah, so, you, are you stuck or limited? You're going to have breakout because God promises prosperity. It doesn't matter if you read it in Hebrew, English, Greek, or Chinese. That's still a conditional promise predicated upon obedience to all of the commandments in the Torah. Functional? Addicted? If that's the case, God's in. Would you like to break out? 2018 can be your year. You know a degree of freedom you've never experienced. You can know my power, my promise. I want you where you are stuck. And we all have at least one place. Stuck to break out, to break out. All right, let's segue now from chapter 1 to chapter 3. You can read chapter 2. It's kind of a good James Bond spy story. But I'm going to go to chapter 3 because chapter 3 is the place where finally after 400 plus years, the people of God are going to step into the long-awaited promised land. But there's a barrier. There's an issue. Between the people of God and the promise of God, there is the Jordan River. The Jordan River is a, is a physical barrier. It's a wide river. It's a deep river. It's a fast-flowing river this time of year. And this is a barrier. And they don't have the engineering technology to build bridges, don't have time and resources to build ships. And they got two million people on the wrong side of the river. The promised land is there. And there's a barrier between the people of God and the promise of God. Listen, there's always going to be a barrier between you and your blessing. How you... What? 
Notice the narcissistic eisegesis going on here. This is not a story that reveals to us some pattern that God's going to follow. So he's, he, God wants to bless you, but oh, as soon as he wants to bless you, there's going to be a barrier. No, that's not how the Bible works. Navigate that blood. How you navigate that obstacle like a ninja in this new year will make all the difference. Notice the ninja reference back to the stage, which is decked out to look like the set for American Ninja Warrior. So we're in Joshua chapter. You're there. Joshua chapter three, little verse by verse. Verse one, I like early in the morning. Any morning people in the house? I can't wait to ask that at one o'clock and see if anyone cheers because I'll be lying. Here we go. Okay. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. That's what it says. It's just where they were. They're in this, this place called Shittim. Shittim. So, and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing. Okay. Let me just explain that for a moment. They're in this region called Shittim. Why are they there? Well, the prior generation had opportunity, the Moses generation, to go into the promised land, but they didn't do it. They kind of fumbled the moment, you know, and they, they missed their chance. They wandered in the wilderness kind of like for 40 years. Remember that story? Right? And so now the people of God, because they're on the wrong side of the Jordan, they're outside of God's will. They're outside the promised land. They're outside of God's will at a place called Shittim. Anytime you're outside the will of God, you're in a place called Shittim. Yeah, no, that's not what this text is teaching at all. You right now, because you have not obeyed the word of God, you find yourself in deep shit. I'm just saying that is utterly inappropriate for any Christian, yet alone a pastor. Don't look at me like that. I'm just being biblical with you. No, you're not your neighbor right now. I just got to preach it, white boy. That's pretty good. Turn it in right now. This is your year to get yourself out of deep shit. Go ahead. You can say it to him. Go ahead. Go, kids. Say it to your parent. You're just quoting verse one. Having too much fun with that. Verse two. Let's get to verse one to verse two. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to people. When you see the ark of the covenant, of the Lord, your God, that's the, uh, the Indiana Jones movie one, that ark, that thing. All right. And the Levitical priest carrying it. You are to move out from your positions and follow. You got to follow God. Follow the priest. Why? Verse four. That's your GPS. How did we ever find our way anywhere before GPS? How in the world? And then you'll know the way to go since you have never been this way before. Some of you who are living in dysfunction, your life is limited. You don't even know what freedom feels like. It's a strange, you can't even imagine, but God's going to set you free. He's going to be your GPS. Living in dysfunction. Are you talking about sin? He's going to show you how to get there. You've not been this way before. It, it continues. Keep little perspectives. Let's keep you know, 2,000 cubits between the ark and yourself. Don't go near it. And then verse 5. Verse 5 is on the screen right now. Verse 5 says this. Joshua told the people, consecrate. Let's try it again. Joshua told the people, consecrate. It means to prepare yourself. Get yourself ready for something amazing, something great, something new, something free. And it continues. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. God wants to do something supernatural and superlative in your life. So get yourself ready. Now you read the rest of chapter three, watch how God provides a supernatural passage because the Jordan river is an impassable impossibility, but God makes a way when there is no way. 
You read that the Ark of the Covenant is carried by the priests of God. They have to step into the Jordan River. This is somewhat like the miracle of Moses back in Exodus. Remember the Red Sea issue? There was a watery barrier there as well. And you all know how that miracle went down with Moses because we all saw the Moses movies. You can't hold up a big stick and the water subdivides. And the Bible gives the great detail. The people of God walked across the Red Sea, everyone on dry ground. But the priests actually step into the water. And then God causes the river to, to stop 20 miles to the north. And they cross right across from Jericho. Obstacle number two in the course they got to run. And imagine the people behind the walls of Jericho thinking they're safe because they got the walls and the river. And the river stops. And two million Israelis cross right in front of their gates. God doing the right thing at the right time in the right place. Now I'm telling you, God has a promise for you. He has a life and a land, if you will, something so big. so. All right, so it, it is true that God does have promise a life and he promises a land for every Christian. This is most certainly true. The question is, what is that life and where is that land? Because you miss this, you're going to miss really what all the scripture is about. Hebrews 11, yeah, it's the same passage that uh, we heard Kenneth Copeland mangling just a little bit before. And we're going to note that here, this is going to talk explicitly about the promised land and what it is. Here's what it says. Hebrews 11:8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one." Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Mm -hmm. This is the promised land. The thing that the patriarchs of the Old Testament were looking for was not the promised land of even the promised land, but eternal life, new earth. Heaven and earth come together, the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem, come down out of heaven, God's dwelling place now with man. Read the end of the book of Revelation, and that will tell you, quite frankly, in very, very graphic detail, what the land is and what the city is, what the promised land that we've been promised from God is. Eternal life, new earth. That's what Hebrews 11 makes abundantly clear. What do you think that um, 
David Hughes is referring to. And you think he's referring to that? Listen. So how do you step in to God's personal promised land? Let me give you a couple things today, and then Dave Ramsey next week as you come back next week. And then I'll come back week number three and walk through Joshua chapter six. But here how they cross the Jordan. A couple things are vital. If you want to know God's spiritual success, the power of divine prosperity to break out, a couple things. Number one, attitude. Attitude. I'm just going to be candid here. A- attitude? Everybody, but some of y'all, your attitude is your biggest issue. Your attitude is chronically... They're all sinners by nature, and you think their big problem is they have a bad attitude. Yeah, just hearing you say this is giving me a bad attitude. It is negative. You're kind of a downer person. Your attitude sucks. I thought about calling this series, Your Attitude Sucks, but you wouldn't show up, so I called it Warrior instead. So the first thing we got to fix is your attitude. Your ad, we need an adjustment. Is an attitude adjustment the same as repenting of your sins and trusting Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Your attitude. In fact, I want there to be this shift. I want you to shift uh, from whining to warring. I want you to see this transition your attitude from the attitude of a whiner. Yeah, where in Joshua chapter 3 were the children of Israel whining? To the spirit of a warrior. Now listen, church only works if you're honest and candid with yourself. So, so don't answer out loud. Don't raise your hand. But are you a negative person? Would the people in your life go, oh yeah, yeah, she is so negative. He is so constantly critical. Are you, is, is, that is you. I'm not trying to jam you, but I'm telling you, it's a bigger issue than you realize. You are self-sabotaging your success. You're missing out on God's best because you track towards negativity. You're kind of a downer. You have this critical spirit. And you, you say, look, it's not a big thing. It's just it's the way I'm wired. I'm negative by nature. I have a critical eye, you say. Use language like this. Uh, I, I just call them the way I see them. I'm just keeping it real. Okay, you know why the preceding generation, uh, the Moses generation, did not get a touch and taste the promised land? Why? Because they didn't trust God. That's what the Torah reveals. Well, Bible scholar, you might say, well, I guess sin, rebellion, distrust, all factors. But if you go to Numbers chapter 14, this describes the prior generation. They're on the borders taking the promised land. They're about to step in, but they don't get to. God says, no. I can't bless you with this. You're not worthy of what the sin was that disqualified them on the screen right now. Numbers chapter 14, verse 26. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them as surely as I live, declares the Lord. Guess what? He says, guess what? You ain't going. You're grumbling. You're complaining. By the way, you think it's a small thing. This shows up the word grumbling or complaining 28 times in Numbers Nexus. The people... Yeah, let's put that in context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's put it in context. So, when we look at Numbers 14, verse 11, verse 11, Yahweh said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all of the signs that I have done among them? 
I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a great nation, a greater and mightier nation than they. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. So note, Numbers 14.11 makes it clear the problem is they don't believe and trust God. So when you get to verse 26, when God says, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? The grumbling comes from their lack of belief and trust in God. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but what David Hughes is doing here is an, is an atrocity. It's an absolute mangling of this text, as if somehow the problem was bad attitude. No, the bad attitude was the result of their lack of faith and trust in Yahweh. Chronically whined and complained where God thought, I can't take whiners into the promised land. Your attitude is the issue I can't deal with. Yeah, that's uh, ignoring what God said earlier in the exact same chapter. It is setting a negative direction for your life. I mean, some of y'all, you were born crying, grew up whining, lived complaining, and going to die disappointed. But God brought you to church to show you this attitude you think is a dismissive thing, a small thing, is a thing you must change. You can't break out until God changes that attitude in your life. I want that to happen today, so I want to change. We're no longer whiners. We are warriors. We're no longer. Oh yeah, that that'll solve the problem right there. Yeah, see, they're they're now positioned for God's amazing blessings, and they're about ready to have a breakout year in 2018 because, well, David Hughes just said that they're now warriors instead of whiners. That that'll solve everything right there. Yeah, whiner is going to be warriors. Make it as clear as I know how. I use the Bible and a T-shirt. We have lots of T-shirts at Church by the Glades. So here's our newest t-shirt at CBG. I'll put it on the screen right now. There it is. I'm not a weenie. I'm not a wimp. I'm not a whiner. I'm not a worrier. Shucks, I want to work and I want to win. But guess what? In life, sometimes you don't win. I mean, you can have all kinds of faith, all kinds of talent, but every once in a while you take one on the chin. If you got to win to keep going, at some point you'll get knocked down. You'll just quit. But warriors don't quit. In the book of Joshua... You're going to see they lose a battle in chapter 7. They make a bad decision a little later on in chapter 9. But you'll find Joshua doesn't quit. Why? Joshua's not worried about winning. He is a warrior. He is unstoppable. He is a- yeah, Joshua is actually one of the fellows who uh, spied out the land of Canaan. And unlike those who didn't believe and trust Yahweh, he did. Yeah, Joshua and Caleb were the only two fellows who believed and trusted the Lord. That's the reason why they got to go into the promised land. Just saying. He is optimistic. He is positive. He is faith-filled. So cut it out with the attitude. Stop self-excusing. Stop saying, look, I'm just a glass half-full kind of person. You're a Christian. You're a Christian person. You are saved and redeemed and heaven-bound and forgiven. Guess what? For a Christian, it's not the glass is half-full or half-empty. It's a glass. It's refillable. And we overflow with the goodness of God. Yeah, so forget the whole glass empty thing. You, 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 uh, you, we recognize you could just refill the glass. So there. Uh-huh. Whatever. I want to cultivate and choose a breakout attitude in 2018. So listen, if you're that negative person, you probably need to get with your family and go, look, I'm sorry. 
that was on me today. God brought me into church to apologize to you guys. I, I, I want to work on that in my life. I want to be more positive. I want to believe in you and celebrate you and encourage you. So as a church family, we'll have 10,000 people in church. We're going to begin a movement in America because America whines all the time. Uh, they're starting a movement there here. Yeah. Starting in uh, church by the glades. Okay. Complains all the time, blames all the time, self-excuses all the time. No, no, we're going to stop global whining at Church by the Glades being today, all right? Yeah, they're not going to turn people into actual Christians who are penitent believers in Jesus. They're going to stop global whining. Wow. First step, before you take any turf, you got to fix your attitude. Second step, second step, this is very important too. So the people of God, they want to cross over, right? I mean, they want to make this progress. They're going to have a new attitude, not going to whine, I'm going to fight, I'm going to be a warrior. I got more about that on time, man. Dumb clock, dumb clock. But second step is this. Second step is this. You want to get turf progress in your life? Yeah, you want some turf progress. You know, because, you know, Joshua 3, it's all about turf progress, man. You got to make the right decision at the right time. It's all about right decisions timed properly. Okay. You got to basically make the right decision at the right time. I got to make the right decisions at the right time. Now, if you're paying attention... I didn't help you at all there, did I? I just described it in outcome. We're all thinking, well, you're great. I'd love to make the right decision at the right time. How do I do that exactly? How do I know what that right, de- how do I know? Look, I, I get it. In fact, if I can share a little personal testimony on this. Uh, I've been at this church now the better part of two decades. The church I came to back in the late 90s was very different than Church by the Glades today. We were small, and in the years before I got here, this church had all like kind of that bad church stuff. If you grew up going to church and didn't like church, your church had that, like church politics and, and all these mean-spirited people. And, and not sin, really, just, just lots of complaining and grumbling. And like some people split off and started other little churches that didn't like, it was terrible, terrible. So I stepped into this. Obviously they were desperate. They hired me and, um, and I was young. I'm like, okay, man, I, I'm dealing with this thing. And statistically speaking, most churches that go through that kind of journey never bounce back. When a church, we'd lost like half our membership, you know, and half the people and all this division and splits and stuff. And when churches go through that, almost never do they survive or grow. Like we went to the Lake Worth campus. It was kind of that scenario. The church was down like 60 people. And so we were tracking that way. And I thought, God, unless you leverage some leadership in me, uh, we're not going to see this thing resurrect. And so I, I studied to become a better leader. Now, I'm not a natural reader. Some of you guys love to read. My wife loves to read. I, I, I have to work at it. But I began reading everything I could find on leadership. So I'm at Barnes and Noble's bookstore. Y'all remember bookstores? All right. Barnes and Noble's bookstore. And they're in like the business leadership section. They had a book and it wasn't spine out. It was cover out. And this author entitled the book, the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. And I thought, man, these are irrefutable laws. I need these laws because I want to be a better leader. So I bought the book. And I started reading the book. And actually, it was, it was really good. And I'm not a reader. The chapters were concise. I don't pay attention very well. So it helped me out. And I'm going through the 21 laws. He had one law he called the law of timing. Notice uh, this is not actually in the Bible. Yeah, he found the law of timing at a Barnes and Noble bookstore. Yeah, that successful people and effective leaders have a, a intuitive way of recognizing windows of opportunity. Uh, you know, timing, timing is critical. You don't be too early. Don't be too late timing. And so I enjoyed the book so much. I tried to get around this guy. I, I, he, he would speak in conference settings. I'd, I'd go hear him. I probably heard him a half dozen times speaking to crowds and found out he was a pastor and stuff. His principles are biblical principles. And so there's one. Is this Max Licato? He's speaking. I'm, I'm soaking all in. Me. I'm taking notes. And this speaker, writer, he's actually a better speaker than even a writer. He said this, had a great voice. said, leaders. 
Leaders make the right decisions at the right time. You make the right decision at the right time, and you will be a great leader. I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, th- that's an interesting story and all. Uh, where are you finding this in Joshua chapter 3? I'm like, yeah! 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 I'm a great leader! Woo! Yeah! Yeah! I gotta make the right decision at the right time. Okay, here's the problem. How do I know the right decision? <laughs> and how can I recognize the right time? He was describing an end outcome, not a strategy. An end, it's like saying, if you want to be wealthy, get a whole bunch of money. You get a whole bunch of money and you will be a wealthy person. Yeah, great. Okay, where do I find this money stuff? Right? It's like that kind of scenario. And I thought that was not even helpful. I mean, how in the world? I mean, the right decision is tough enough, but how do I recognize the right timing? That's, that's so hard to discern the right time. I've spent the better part of the last 20 years trying to figure out the answer to that question. And I think I found some handles to help us recognize God's timing. Because God's timing is not just good timing. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfection. If you will align yourself with God's divine watch, you will step into the moment right at the perfect time. So I have found these four things that will help us discern God's timing. I know some of y'all have never take a note, but this one time humor me and take a note. Just grab your phone and write down these four ways you can recognize the right time. This is very important in life. This will help you do business better, relationships better. Four ways. All campuses, go ahead and just write this down if you would. On paper, on your phone. Four ways you can recognize God's perfect time. Because the Israelites, the time of the crossing... The time they make this move in the promised line is, is, is vital. They want to align with God's timing. So here's four criteria. Write them down. Number one, do you have a scripture? Is there a verse in God's word that speaks directly to the issue? See, the Bible. Are we going to use the Bible like a crystal ball now? How do I know, Bible, when the, the right time to make a good decision is? This is uh, this is bizarre. Of all kinds of information, there's there's narrative, there's story, there's examples, very helpful. There's principles, there's precepts. Again, very helpful. But I mean this: you have a command. Is there a thou shalt or thou shalt not in the Word of God? Is there a biblical imperative that speaks to this issue in your life? If there is, ASAP, right away, align your life with what the Bible says. We discovered in James chapter 1, the blessing of God is not in the hearing of the word. It's in the daring to do the word of God. So I want to run as quickly as possible. All right. So how are you doing on those Ten Commandments? You will have no other God. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, things like that. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor your father and your mother. You will not murder. You will not commit adultery. You will not steal. Are you familiar with these concepts you will not covet your neighbor's house and stuff and yeah um you will not bear false witness against your neighbor how are you doing on those commandments because you know every time you break those you're guilty of sinning and sin is a big problem big big ginormous problem so big it took the son of god to be born of the virgin mary to take our sin on himself Go to the cross, bleed and die for our sins, rise again. You familiar with these concepts? Speaks to this relationship in my life or a discipline or a priority or my finances. If my life is not aligned, not looking like the word of God as quickly as possible, the time is now. I want to align with the word of God. 
Because God is always correct. So we just gotta, we could, we don't need to really obey. We just need to align. Right. And we don't need to repent. We just need to align. We don't need to repent and be forgiven. We just need to align, you know, because, you know, the timing is important for, you know, leadership decisions. This is absurd. Government speaks, he never lies. So stay with me. So the right time to do the right thing is right now. So criteria number one, do I have a scripture? And that one's the slam dunk. That's the best of the four by far. That's the one that's guaranteed to be correct every single time. Now, the next three deal with an issue in life that you don't have a Bible verse. There's lots of things we navigate. Where are these steps laid out for us to know when the right time to make a good decision is for leadership? Where are these steps laid out? In the new year, we don't have a Bible verse for, right? Uh, uh, is there an investment you need to make? Uh, should you buy or sell a home? Should you uh, quit your job and take that, that job off in Nebraska? Should you know all these things in life? You're a single person. Don't you wish there was a verse in the Bible that said, Thou shalt date Thelma. Thou shalt marry Bob. Thou shalt dump Frank. He's a jerk, right? Don't you wish you had a verse like that? But in all these great issues in life, you don't have a verse. So you might have some principles. And some principles describing you know, a godly guy, godly girl, or, or a wise move in life. But these things you need to kind of be discerning. And sometimes God works through counsel and through circumstances. So we talk through the circumstances. So I'm trying to read God's timing. Again, have you found tea leaves might help in this capacity? Where is this this taught in Scripture? Times in life, God closes a door. People phrase it that way. God closes a door. God God kind of closes the opportunity. Uh, It's not going to work out. God God kind of shuts something down. He closes a door in life that happens sometimes. That that happens to just. Closes down the opportunity, shuts the door, it's not going to work, and we get a stop sign. We get a stop sign. I'll say that. We get a stop sign. Like, got to throw the brakes on because the opportunity is no more. Now, if you're like me and God closes the door, God gives me a stop sign. God, If he gives me a stop sign, guys, you put it on the screen, put it on the screen. There you go. God gives me a stop sign. I'm frustrated because I like to move forward. I like to make progress. So I pray about an issue and whatever God Close the door. God gives me the stop sign. For many years, I go, oh, man, God, I can't believe this. It seemed like such a right thing. I can't believe you. You closed the door. You gave me a stop sign. Uh, but listen, I've learned that stop signs are provided by God for my direction or my protection. Same way as a driver. I, I try not to speed too much, but I like to get places right away. I don't enjoy stop signs. I do not. Anybody here enjoy? Oh, I love a good stop sign. I like to stop and ponder and take it. No, we all hate them, right? So why do they put stop signs in the streets? So the city planners do that. Why? Direction and protection. I've learned that in life. Sometimes when God closes that door, there's something better he has in store for me. So uh, let me show you a really interesting verse in the book of Acts. This is kind of unfolding narrative in the book of Acts. Uh, it says in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, this is about the Apostle Paul and his preaching team. They're, they're preaching the gospel, planting churches. It's on the screen right now. And here's what it says. Having been Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit of God to preach in Asia. Like, what's up with that? Does God not like... Yeah, uh, how then is this verse part of like step two for how to learn the perfect, make a right decision at the right time? It, it, It doesn't. This is not a biblical teaching. This is bizarre. Asian people or something. <laughs> well, let me explain what it is. It's actually Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And Paul wanted to go there and prayed about going there, but God gave him a stop sign. Why? He'd actually been there a couple times before. 
He preached the gospel there already, established some churches, went to come back and revisit those churches. And God gives him the stop sign. And no doubt, because Paul was aggressive and a leader and forward moving, he probably is frustrated. But then like 24 hours later, he opens a better door to take the gospel to Greece. And the gospel now spreads throughout Europe. And if you're here right now of European descent, your ancestors first heard the name of Jesus only because Paul got a stop sign about going back to Turkey. So God closes one door, opens a bigger and better one. So listen, don't be frustrated when God says no. When you pray for a job opportunity and someone else gets it. You know, when you pray for a financial opportunity and it doesn't happen. Understand that maybe God protecting you, maybe God directing you. And look, if you've been a Christian any amount of time and you pray about the big decisions of life, you've seen this happen in your life. You prayed about something, God, I really want this thing to happen. Or you're single, God, I'd really like to be with this person. I'd like to date him or, or her, right? And then God says no. And it's six months down the road and you're like, oh, God, thank you so much for saying no. That would have been terrible. That would have been like a dumpster fire, right? Or you're at your 20-year reunion like, oh, God, I prayed about him in high school. Boy, the years have not been kind to that, brother. Thank you, God, for saying no. Wow, right? So, uh, you know, God gives you the stop sign because he loves you and he wants to protect you. All right, so we got, you clap for that. That's God. That's God's goodness right there. So we got the scripture, number one. And then we get the closed door, the stop sign, number two. And then number three, sometimes God gives you the green light. God gives you the go ahead. God gives you, he opens the door, right? The circumstances. Now, it doesn't mean the absence of obstacles. They still had the Jordan River and the walls of Jericho and stuff. But a green light, a green light. Green light's an exciting thing in life. Now, to make sure we're all on the same page. I want you to complete this sentence. A green light means that is good. That is correct. But that is an impartial answer. I want to clarify this because a lot of you like me, you drive on the streets of South Florida. And I want to take a moment just to explain this, that a green light does not merely mean go. A green light means go now. What does this have to do with Joshua 3? This is just so tortured. Joshua 3 does not reveal several steps to learn how to make the right decision at the right time so that you can be a good leader. Go now, not go. Because a lot of people in South Florida, the light turns green, they don't go. Amen? In case you're one of those people, a green light means go now. Go now. I just want to clarify that because maybe I'm behind you in my car. We're like in the left-hand turn lane. It's a red light. And we're like five and six cars deep. And uh, the light transitions from red to green. And the people in front of you, they go. But you're on your phone checking your feed. You're checking your feed. Or you're in your rearview mirror checking your teeth, right? Checking your teeth. And here the lights change. You're just sitting there. The green light is up there. And you're just sitting. I'm behind you. And because you're not moving, I am faced with a moral dilemma. Do I lay on the horn and just blast you like I want to? But the dilemma is this. I get a church by the glazed decal in my back window. So I just give you a little like a beep, 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 beep. And you, you, oh, oh, whoa, oh, 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 and you get you in. And you make it through the light just as the light is transitioning from green to yellow to red. And you make it through. And I have to sit there and wait for a whole nother light cycle. Why? Because you didn't recognize that a green light means go. No extra charge for that. Let's roll back around now. Something, something out there. You got a verse four. You got a verse. Yeah, that was no extra charge for that little bit of <clears throat> wisdom. Uh, not biblical, but yeah, who knew? I mean, uh, green light means go now. I 
this will change my life here, you know. Or, right, and uh, I got a verse for it, and then God kind of opens a door of opportunity. It doesn't mean there's not issues and obstacles, but it means go now. You got a word from Scripture? Because in our flesh, we're like, oh, yeah, I need to really do that thing. That, that thing you know, Pastor even talked about, yeah, I need, I need to do that. It's not a good time right now. Oh, I got plans right now. I got a few things to iron out right now, like salvation, salvation. Oh, David, I, I know you'll have those nice prayer partners at the edge of the stage. But I, I'm not ready for salvation yet. And the Bible says now is the time. And today is the day of your salvation. The Bible saying you're more ready than you realize now. Now. But it's funny, man. See, if the devil can't make us say no, he'll just say, say later. Say, God, yes, but not right now. I'm not ready now. How about that one? Uh, how about if you're in financial dysfunction? How about if you're struggling financially? By the way, I'm not judging this. That's so many of our people. Uh, you know, we, we overspend. We don't have a budget. We got debt. Uh, I love that testimony. Sam and Jade just being candid about the struggle they had. Wow, that was, that was really powerful. Sam and Jade, I think they said they were $460,000 in debt in their 20s. I had asked some follow-up questions. Did you guys, like, have a crack habit or, you know... <laughs> gambling issue was going on there. It was almost all student debt, just tons of all the college and grad school was, was in that. So I was rolling over and burying them. And so they took financial peace and began working the plan. And here they are debt free, debt free. And that's, that's what God wants to do. He loves to free people up. And, uh, there's somebody out here. We offer financial peace this time of year. It costs a hundred dollars. Why do we charge you a hundred dollars? We don't make any money. They charge us a hundred dollars for the materials. Uh, we even provide. Notice he's long on the life tips, very short, like non-existent on actual repentance for real sins. Care and stuff, and you're thinking, yeah, I need, I, I need. That's it. I need to do that. Just not now. Green light. Green light means what? Go. Now. Means go now. It means when church is done. Not, not. I'm gonna go pray about it. No, you're not. You're going to go home and hope to forget about it, get distracted. You need to go ahead and just say, God, okay, I'm going to do it and go to the lobby at this campus. There'll probably be a line. Wait in the line. Give them $100. Well, I'm already in debt. $100 more is not going to hurt you. Go ahead, get in debt. And let's begin to find the freedom. Get the pathway. Go now. Baptism. Baptism. Um, yeah, I need to do the baptism thing. I know it's the first thing. I, no, no, now. Now, when God gives you the window, the green light, it means go now. The blessing is in it. I tell my kids, I got my kids on the front row, that, that slow obey is no obey. Promising to obey me later on is nothing right now. God wants you to do it now. Green light means go. That was terrible. Green light means go. Now, notice, it's green light as far as you think that now there's an opportunity that God has opened. You got to obey now. No concept of like actually obeying God's Ten Commandments at all. <laughs> Slow bay is not obey. Yeah, let's talk about those commandments again here and find out if anybody is obeying and realize they need to realize they're not. And that means they need a savior, the one who bled and died for all of their no bays. Everyone, green light means go. Turn to your neighbor and say, what do we need to do now? Turn to your neighbor, what do we need to do now? What's that thing we need to do right now? Because I, I want the best. I want God's promise. I got want God's blessing. All right? So I got three of you with me. Number one, if you have a scripture, if you have a scripture, 
uh, that one's a slam dunk. That is the five star. That's the way you know, man, I got to do this thing. I need to do it as quickly as I can. Then number two, if I don't have a verse, if God gives me a stop sign, I won't resent that. I'll recognize that's God blessing me with protection and direction. Number three, if God gives me a green light, a green light means go now. And then here's the fourth and final one. Write this down. Write this down. If it feels like the right time, if it feels like emotionally the right time, if intuitively this thing feels kind of good to do right now, write it down, write it down there on your phone, write it down. If it feels like the right time. Now, do you got it there on your phone or did you write it down? If you have it on your phone, delete it. If it feels like the right time, delete it. Uh-huh. Which text again says this? Now, just scratch a line through it. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience, apparently wanting them to make decisions of some kind or another, apparently to uh, not be whiners and to apply these steps for learning how to make the right decision at the right time. Uh Uh-huh. Because I found this when it comes to the call of God... It's almost always the opposite of what I feel. See, my feelings are based on what insecurity and fear and selfishness and God's call is based on promise and potential and blessing other people. And God's call is based upon potential. No idea what that means. This is kind of war, this warrior battle I fight between my fear and the call of God. Mm, yeah, and I that's the warrior battle, man, yeah. The people of the Joshua generation face this in this moment, the timing of chapter 3. So I love. Yeah, chapter 3 is not about the timing thingy that you're talking about, you know, making the right decision at the right time, so you can be a good leader. Cool detail. You remember, as you read, you're going to find out this. So, so the people, they follow the priest, and the priest, probably four guys, are carrying the ark, and the ark probably weighed hundreds of pounds. It's that Indiana Jones box. It's a wooden box covered in gold. So it weighed... 500 pounds, 800 pounds. And so these, these priests are carrying this thing. And then Josh is okay. You're going to march out into the Jordan. And we get a really interesting biblical detail. I love the details of the Bible in verse 15 of chapter 3 on the screen right now. He loves the details, but he doesn't really want to take the time to read out and actually exegete the text in context. No, no, no. We're just going to hopscotch through it. And Oh, here's a little detail that you, you should find this interesting. It says not only do they have to touch the water and walk into the water, because there's this detail about the timing of this crossing. It says now the Jordan is at flood stage during the so the river as they're crossing is at flood stage. So the Jordan kind of swells about twice its normal size at flood stage. And I don't know much about crossing a river, but I know this: what is the worst time to cross a river? Flood stage. Right. Since they did it at flood stage, I mean, all those people were feeling, wait a second, this isn't the right time. But see, their feelings were wrong because this was God's timing. So if you you just need to chuck your feelings regarding the decisions you need to make to make the right decision at the right time. And just because flood stages, whatever that might be in your life is happening, doesn't mean that this isn't God's timing. So there... This is, an, this is a complete abuse of this text. And God's had 40 years to do this thing. And he picks flood stage. And if you're one of the four... What was God thinking? He's you know, carrying the heavy ark of the covenant. And you're called... This is not like the Moses miracle. Wave the stick and the water subdivide and it's all dry. The priest had to march out into the fast-flowing Jordan. Every step, it gets deeper and deeper as they have this heavy thing on their back. I guarantee you they did not 
feel like obeying the command of God. Why? The priest didn't know how to swim. Where's that in chapter 3? What's in the subtext? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Notice you're not really learning anything about this text. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Remember, this is the new generation. This is the Joshua generation. Now, their fathers grew up in Egypt. Egypt had the Nile River, Nile River, a few crocodiles, but you can learn how to swim. This generation grew up in the desert. No swimming pools in the desert. No bodies of water in the... Nobody in this generation had a clue how to swim. So if you're one of these priests and you're carrying the 800-pound ark on your back, marching out into the water, everything in your flesh... Everything in your anxiety and fear is good. Oh, you don't want to do this. This, fe- yeah, you. There's a reason why he didn't read the chapter out because the text doesn't say that they, you know, started marching into the water. It got chest high, and the and the heavy arc thing on their back was weighing them down, and they were thinking, "Oh no, what are we gonna do?" No, listen to what the text does say. Joshua chapter three, verse fourteen. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood up and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. Yeah, it says as soon as their toes dipped into the water, as soon as their feet touched the water, it immediately stood up in a heap. It doesn't say the priest waded out and it got chest high or anything like that. It was like a really bad idea. But their faith won the war against their fear, and they marched out into the water. That's weird. There is no mention of their faith warring against their fear. As soon as their feet touched the water, as soon as, then the water stood up. At the right time, God caused the waters to subside, and they crossed on dry land because four priests were faithful, and they fought through the anxiety and insecurity. No anxiety is mentioned in the text. No insecurity is mentioned at all. And the emotions and did what God called them to do at the time God called them to do it. Because warriors are not whiners and we're not waiters. We move when God says move. And there's someone here that God has given you a specific decision to make. Mm, yeah, so, so, so there's some vague decision thingy that somebody's got to make. Yeah. Make the right decision at the right time. And this is led by God. God is always perfect and God is always correct. And the right time to do the right thing is right now. And I know it doesn't feel like the right time. But if it's God's time, it is go time. Step into your Jordan and receive the promise that God wants to give you. Uh, there is no Jordan I'm supposed to step into. Well. Oh. So what's your Jordan, folks? I don't know. I feel like it's the wrong time, which means it's probably the right time for me to uh, to invest in the stock market. Oh, yeah, yeah. Step into that Jordan, brother. Go for it, dude. I was to unleash something so mighty, so supernatural. So don't know what it is. It's some vague thingy, but uh, it, it'll blow your mind when you, uh, when you finally step into it. In, in your life, you're going to take and receive what God has promised. So let's make a move. 
Yeah, just make some kind of a move, would you? Let's not just play church. Let's make a move. Let's go to the lobby and sign a financial peace. Let's talk to our prayer partner and give your heart to Christ or be baptized. If you're a whiner in Jesus' name, let's crucify that negativity. Yeah, crucify that negativity, man. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't know what that means. A new attitude because you're a victor and an overcomer in Jesus' name. God's called you to be the head and not the tail. God's prepared for you a land. This is like a light version of the prosperity heresy. Potential, a blessing, a promised land with your name on it. Don't settle for anything less. We are not the people who wander in the wilderness. We are the Joshua generation. Oh, they are so amazing there. They're the Joshua generation down there at Church by the Glades. Every good thing that our God has called us to receive. We're going to navigate 2018 like a bunch of ninjas. Yeah, man. It's like death stars and stuff like that. Yeah. Unafraid and receiving the best that God wants to give us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Done. Yeah, uh, so rather than starting the year off like Ninja Warriors, uh, David Hughes started the year off there at Church by the Glades like wolves. Like he's behaving like a wolf because the devil is a liar. He's lied to all the people there. He's twisted God's word. Just absolutely botched it. And I mean, the text itself, when you would read it out in context, would refute, and it does refute some of the things he said explicitly. Yeah, okay, I think you get the idea. And I think I've got myself worked up. I've got to be careful. I'm not quite 100% after that flu. Uh, So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at fire Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.